Welcome back to The Left Lens. This is Danny Haifong, and I'm going to talk to you about why we should defend China. If you haven't heard, both Donald Trump and Joe Biden are currently sparring about who was softer on China during the COVID-19 outbreak. And uh, it began with an ad from the Trump campaign, which said that Joe Biden was soft on China for selling out the American worker. Then you had Joe Biden rebuttal by stating that uh, Trump should have taken stronger measures against China as the outbreak began to occur there. Now, anti-China sentiment is very popular on the left. I get a lot of flack for defending China as an example that we should learn from and as an example of human progress and, dare I say, socialism. So I just want to go over a few points today to discuss my opinions on this matter, which I believe are grounded not only in empirical evidence, but also just the objective situation that we face right now under uh, the belly of, in the belly of the beast and under the unipolar imperialist order that the world is currently subjected to. So first, let's just talk about the facts of COVID-19 and China. Co uh, China was able to contain its outbreak. It took all the measures that were necessary at a, at a very early uh, during its outbreak. It was a very new virus, and this is very critical to understand when there have been deaths added to the Wuhan total. That, of course, in the midst of extreme strains on the healthcare system in the city of Wuhan, especially when the virus was so new, it's of course understandable when testing kits may not have even been available um, in the first days of the virus, that there would be cases that weren't counted and an only 50% increase is very low compared to the United States, which hasn't been counting a whole lot of folks because of a lack of, a lack of testing, yet still the United States and even just New York State. Uh, in New York State alone, it has four to five times more uh, deaths than China altogether. And that should leave reason for pause when anyone thinks that they should adopt the anti-China sentiment and the anti-China policy of U.S. imperialism, but unfortunately many on the left in the United States and the Western world do. And that's because there's been a centuries long, over a century long, uh, anti-China war that imperialism has waged. And that war has included a war against communism, the anti-communism since 1949, the Chinese Revolution. But there's also been a longer history of the United States seeing China as an open door, as a uh, market for itself in order for uh, big profiteers and big capitalists to uh, reap massive profits and wealth from the labor, from not only labor of Chinese workers, but also from just the geopolitical and strategic resources and markets that surround China and that exist in China. So this has been a long history dating back all the way into the late 19th century when the United States not only imported lots of Chinese labor, stole a lot of Chinese labor to replace slave labor in the United States from, Afri from newly freed Africans, but also um, uh, just in terms of trying to maintain an imperialist world order through control of the Asia Pacific. And this is all very important to understand. But what's also important to understand is that since 1949, China has been, uh, you know, uh, living through a revolution, a socialist revolution. And that socialist revolution never ended, contrary to what many on the left may think. There are many who call me a revisionist, and 
uh, someone who's an apologist for China, for a dictatorship, for an authoritarian state, for a deformed worker state, whatever the leftists, uh, especially the white left, want to call it China, uh, they have to wrestle with some facts. And first, the fact is uh, one thing we have to wrestle with is the definition of socialism. Well, what is that? Socialism in my eyes, and I think in the eyes of great thinkers like Lenin, Marx, and uh, Mao and others saw socialism as a transitional stage between capitalism and communism, a classless society. Socialism was when workers and oppressed people took the state from the capitalist class and the ruling class and then wielded power over it in order to begin planning the economy, begin planning around basic needs, begin planning the development of society to meet the needs that capitalism could not, to begin the eradication of the relationship between the employer and the employee, but to institute the correct measures to transform the state um, as one that administers things rather than uh, administers uh, profits. That, uh, or that was the big goal of socialism, not to administer things and profit, but to begin to administer society. And that would, in effect, wither away the state as Engels surmised because, um, in effect, by uh, reducing class contradictions and by getting rid of the capitalists, you get rid of the need for a state to control a particular class. But under socialism, you need a state. Why? Well, you need a state to uh, repress and suppress your own capitalist class and your own oppressor class. So that's what China has right now, actually. And that's why China has had to keep a pretty strong and strict, a very, it has a very state-owned economy, but it also has a highly securitized system because of the threat of imperialism and because of the threat of subversion from neighbors, from, from uh, the border regions. We forget that the U.S. military has over 50% of its resources around the Asia-Pacific. But we also know that China was threatened with nuclear war from the outset of its revolution. We know that the Korean War, the so-called Korean War, was all about containing China. That this over 60-year policy, this 70-year policy since the uh, Chinese revolution to destroy that revolution, overthrow it on the part of the U.S. and its allies, it's a big reason why uh, China has had to maintain a socialist state that has uh, made many changes over the years in order to uh, deal with contradictions. And I think it's important to understand when it comes to China that uh, there have been many gains that have been made that we need to learn from. COVID-19 is one of uh, many examples in which China has surpassed uh, the United States in the imperialist world in being able to meet the needs of humanity. And what do I mean by that? Well, look at how China has come to the aid of countries ravaged by imperialism, by uh, providing Iran with critical medical equipment, supplies, medical experts, providing Iraq with a lab that increased its uh, testing capacity, providing Venezuela with medical experts and supplies um, despite the presence of U.S. sanctions, uh, providing all of Africa. Every African country has received numerous testing supplies, kits, medical experts. The entire world, 120 countries, have benefited from Chinese assistance just three months out of its outbreak. Remember, 
it wasn't until mid-January, right? There was an outbreak that began in December, but it wasn't until mid-January that they knew it was a coronavirus, that it was a new coronavirus, and it shared the genome sequences with the world. That's what China did, the Chinese government did. And it has been praised by the WHO, and largely, um, in the past at least, an imperialist-dominated institution. This institution has been forced by the weight of China's role in the world, its progressive role in the world, to begin to look at things objectively. In this case, a COVID-19 pandemic which is ravaging the world, in which China has so many lessons for the world to learn. And then... Uh, not only the COVID-19 pandemic, but when I was in China, I saw all of the progress of the revolution, even over the course of the last 30, 40 years, which have been called revisionist and pro-capitalist and all of that. While capitalist mechanisms have definitely entered the economy, it is still well under the control of the state and the Communist Party of China. This is so obvious when you see the state-owned enterprises growing and the Communist Party's role growing in terms of the development of key infrastructure like high-speed rail, which China leads the world in, um, in uh, the eradication of poverty, which China has accounted for all uh, poverty alleviation since uh, the early 1980s, where absolute poverty is becoming a thing of the past in China, in a country where in 1949 the average life expectancy was 35, and uh, diseases like malaria and malnutrition were commonplace. Now, no one in China goes without a home. China zero homelessness. Now, no one in China goes without employment. Um, there are, uh, there is unemployment in China, but it is far lower than anywhere else in the Western world and the capitalist world in real terms. Uh, China has uh, absolutely. In, uh, expanded access to healthcare to a degree unseen in a country as populous as itself. China has had so many achievements. It, it leads the world in the production of renewable energy and the fight against climate change. And China has promoted a model of peaceful economic and political development with other nations around the world that I think Western leftists and U.S. leftists need to look at. When we think about the idea of win-win cooperation, of non-interference, of multipolarity, all of these principles are being led by China right now on the world stage, and all of them signal a new kind of way of relating that respects self-determination around the world and that ultimately provides the necessary room for other nations to begin their own processes of social change and social revolution. Now, there is a lot of talk on the left about China's relationship with Africa. We see uh, videos coming out of mistreatment of Africans in places like Guangzhou because of the fear of imported cases that China now has when it comes to COVID-19. Well, if you look deeper at the news there, I think it was a Nigerian or a Nigerian uh, folks living in China that have now been given um, housing, have been given respite, have been... Um, made whole by the Chinese government. The institutions involved in uh, the discrimination have been punished. Uh, and uh, China is holding high-level talks with, Niger with Nigerian political officials right now to talk about what went wrong and how China is going to fix it. And that is something I think we can learn from here in the United States, where black Americans are being genocidally killed right now by COVID-19 where uh, the white supremacist institutions and the capitalist institutions in the United States are wholly antagonistic to black life itself. 
and the black condition generally, economically, politically, etc., that uh, we need to be talking about how we can adopt principles of non-interference, self-determination, in order to organize our, ourselves to defend the self-determination of black Americans, help strengthen that movement here, so that we can one day have a government as responsive to problems like racism, which won't go away even after revolution, to things like discrimination, which won't go away even after revolution, and have a government that can respond, that's owned and controlled by us, that can respond to a crisis like that, that can respond to a problem like that in a way that respects self-determination, that respects the right of people to life. That's what China is doing right now, both in its domestic market socialist development and in its dealings around the world, contrary to what so many on the left may think. There is so much yellow peril, so much anti-China racism to sift through. Right now, the United States is looking to scapegoat China in order to meet larger geopolitical objectives, the containment of China as an economic power, the uh, need to saber-rattle with China militarily on the part of the United States in order to do that. This is the larger strategy of great power competition that the Trump administration outlined in 2017 in the National Security Strategy document. And this is the strategy that was also a part of the Obama administration's overall China policy, which was to militarize the Asia Pacific, to economically try to isolate China, and to try to strangle the peoples of the world in the process. Because what the U.S. fears is the Belt and Road Initiative. It fears China's expansion of its economic relations around the world. It fears state-owned enterprises and a communist party being the power broker of international relations rather than the principles of U.S. imperialism, which privilege private capital and privilege debt, privilege austerity, privilege privatization. This is the real struggle that's going on worldwide. This is what uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump are battling over right now, a military option versus an economic option, anti-China, uh, white supremacist chauvinism on the part of Trump, anti-China, uh, pro-military, uh, pro-democracy approach on the part of Biden. This is the battle that we need to wage. We need to wage a battle for peace. And that battle starts ultimately with China at this stage of the imperialist end game that if we on the left don't see what's most important, what's the principal contradiction, if we're not willing to study conditions in China, go visit China, study Chinese media, study the works of all Chinese thinkers, regardless of whether you agree with them or not, uh, study uh, what the United States is doing to China and how that affects Chinese development. These are the things that we need to do as a real left in the United States to build solidarity with China and the Chinese people, to defend their socialist revolutionary process, and to begin a struggle for peace here in the United States, which can ultimately be directed to uh, build an order that can uh, bring us to a society that we want to see here that's more conducive to our needs. This is Danny Haifong, and you've been listening to The Left Lens. Please hit subscribe to this page, hit the like button, and I will see you all again very soon.